Welcome to the Food Intelligence Podcast. My name is Ron, and for our very first episode, our debut episode, we had the chance to sit down and chat with the incredibly insightful Einav Geffen, executive chef at Unilever. We talked a lot about what it means to be an executive chef, um, and she shared a lot of really great insights and advice for really anyone that has anything to do with food service sales. So I think this should be an incredibly valuable episode, really, for anybody in the food industry. I was incredibly excited to get the chance to talk to Enav, and I'm sure that you'll benefit from uh, listening to her insights as well. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. So first of all, thank you so much for for joining it and, uh, and doing this. I was really excited kind of leading up to it. Um, so the first thing I want to ask you, um, because I think this is one of the roles that means really different things at every company, or at least the people that I've spoken to, is what uh, does an executive chef do? And I know this is like, okay, how many hours do you have? But if you had to kind of like sum it down, um, based on your experience as an executive chef at Unilever and the experiences of uh, your peers, uh, how would you define this role? So, you know, the, the, as you said, there is no one size fits all. And this is one of the issues really that we have in, in that part of the industry is that when you hear a chef, you immediately put the chef in the kitchen, right? So when you hear executive corporate chef, you think, okay, somebody's running the corporate dining room. And that's one and probably the most common entity of that title. Uh, in my specific case and some others, this is not so much uh, where the reality is. So yes, the title kind of like can correspond to that, uh, to the other side of, of running a corporate dining room, but it's anything but probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if I need to boil it down and summarize it in few sentences, I would say it, uh, probably three major things. Um, there is an internal component, external component and filling the pipeline. So the, I'll start with the external component, which is uh, engaging with customers in my specific case, as for the most part, when you deal with the food service industry, it's a chef-to-chef -chef conversation. Regardless if the chef is the owner or, or not, they're part of the decision-making of what goes in their pantry. And so in a chef-to-chef -chef conversation, you want to have uh, uh, the knowledge, the culinary knowledge, the menu knowledge, all the pains and aches of what an operator goes. So that's the external-facing of being a corporate executive chef is working with key accounts. In my case, my team is working with other accounts, um, national big accounts, big customers to understand their needs and how my products can play a role in their portfolio. On the internal is bringing the passion for food, the understanding of our products, and mainly the understanding of our customers to our salespeople and the R&D people who are not coming face-to-face -face with the end user on a daily basis. So you know, to be locked up in a lab and produce something, it's great and you can have something amazing, but who's to say that there is a need for it um, and that it's right smack on the nose with what the end user needs uh, from packaging, from flavor. So you need to bring, we call it Rosanna Speak. We call our uh, virtual uh, customer Rosanna. So you need to talk about things in the language that chefs are talking. You need to bring the outside world in uh, that's the internal component with a lot of training uh, and the passion for food. And from filling the pipeline, personally, uh, it's overseeing, guiding, uh, development, product development of our uh, future portfolio. Really be the gatekeeper of what 
is necessary, what is not, what can work, what cannot. And then if it's something that is produced globally to be cascaded in different uh, uh, MCOs in different countries, if North America is one of them or the lead of that, is really bringing forward the needs of my region to the benchtop uh, because food is not like soap. You know, it's uh, what works in India will not necessarily work in the United States. So you gotta uh, promote those nuances that are relevant to your region. So that's probably the three big pillars uh, of my, uh, that's it under my big fat title. Sounds like a busy day to day. When you say uh, pipeline, do you mean pipeline of new products and uh, new innovations? Or do you mean pipeline in the traditional sense of how many uh, opportunities and with a dollar amount attached to them are we bringing in for the company? Both. Every, every sale at the end, every win starts with a lead that translates to opportunity. So, you know, it's following the process, filling this pipeline with leads. A lot of it is about information of what is changing constantly out there. So we will know how to push, what to push, what is relevant. Now in post-COVID, the, the uh, slogan of do more with less is, is very predominant, how we can stretch our products, but also on the, in the innovation pipeline of what are white spaces that can comfortably sit under our brands. Because there can be many things that uh, uh, operators or chefs or restaurants need, but because I don't have a chill capability, for example, or I don't deal with the dairy industry, that's great, but it's not going to fall under my umbrella. So yeah. to sift through the needs, identify the needs that are relevant to us and how comfortably we can fulfill those needs under our brands and the size of the opportunity. Yeah. So, and earlier you said uh, that uh, a lot of these conversations are, are chef to chef and uh, you have to educate your internal like Salesforce and marketing people on how do you actually talk to to chefs and how do you actually talk to uh, to the relevant people, which is sort of what I am doing right now as well, like trying to to learn. Um, but um, when you talk, when you say, for example, that uh, that you're talking to chef being uh, either you know your partners or your uh, your customers, will these typically be people in similar positions? to yourself or will these uh, be people, for example, that are chefs for like hospitality chains or for like uh, big restaurant chains? Like where where do these people typically work? It will be the latter. So mm -hmm. um, at the end, when I'm talking to customers, it's the whole gamut of the food service industry. It can be executive chef of a big national chain. It can be a chef of a few units chain. That's the majority of my team. That's what they're doing on original uh, on the regional base. Uh, it can be uh, chefs of a distributor, uh, for example. They, they need to work with their own salespeople to how to sell in. And it can be hospitality or a senior living. Uh, it really depends because we are servicing all segments, which puts the challenge on. It's not, not all chefs are alike in that sense of their day-to-day -day job. And every segment has their own needs. Uh, in a senior living, it's much more nutritional and taste forward and it depends if it's assisted living or it's just a retirement home. Even yeah. there you have sub-segmentations. Uh, chains, because of their operation, have their own difficulties of, you know, is do you have franchises that you need to convince on yeah. bringing, uh, so working with a cor their corporate chef is one thing. I can make the entryway and get their corporate chef saying, wow, this is amazing, but they need to jump through the hoops of getting franchises on board. So it's trying to see what we can do to ease the pain on each and every one of those segments. Uh, and those are the conversations that are taking place.
And how does that cascade down to to like the smaller, uh, like more single location or or smaller chains that are maybe you know, two to five locations, is that typically all done through your relationship with the distributor? Or is there any sort of relationship with uh, that segment of the market? It's a it's a combination. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is where our regional teams, my chef that are scattered throughout the US with our sales team that are located in, in those hotspots, it's part of their job. Sometimes it's cold calls. Uh, sometimes it's through their networking. Sometimes it's through friends of a friend's. Uh, to find those leads, to make those connections. But also often, if you have good relationship with a distributor, because we are not a distributing company, we are relying very heavily on our partners uh, in distribution to give us leads or or, uh, uh, brief us on opportunities when they hear it. Uh, It can also be a challenge because a lot of those distributors have their own private label. So often you're also competing uh, with your distributor. So where do you find the differentiating point? Where do you find the happy medium where it's a win-win situation? Where you, where you can work directly with the single locations or smaller chains and also maintain a, a successful relationship with the distributor where it makes sense. That's the, the balance. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, you know, it's all about if my product has been stocked, right? So I can go yeah. in and sell the best product I have, but if it's not been stocked the broadline distributors, that most small restaurants work with, um, then they're not yeah. going to to get it, even though they love it because they don't have the bandwidth. So I'm, my job is also to help the distributors understand the need of that product. So it's a pull push, uh, mm-hmm. type of, uh, type of a game, uh, and, and hopefully get them to stock understanding that I will help build enough volume for it. And, and I'm fascinating. I'm fascinated by this side of, um, of like the smaller locations because we recently did a study. And uh, we saw that over that about 65% of the food service market in the U.S. is um, smaller, like either single locations or uh, small to medium chains. Uh, and the rest of it is the, you know, the mega chains. Um, so the, the relationship with them, I would imagine that it has multiple different sides. Uh, one of them being, of course, the salespeople either going after them, trying to create relationships with them and finding creative ways to, to get after them. And I would imagine that another side is the marketing that you're running for individual uh, products. And um, and uh, my CEO, Alon, uh, who you know very well, we spoke the other day about um, something completely outside of the food industry. We were talking about the Intel campaign, um, Intel Inside, which was a consumer-facing campaign. Of course, Intel doesn't sell directly to consumers. They sell very much like you sell into food service. They sell into, you know, computer stores. Um, shows you how much I, I know about that. But uh, <laughs> but they ran this campaign called Intel Inside to push um, both smaller locations and consumers themselves to to want to pay that premium for um, for to get that Intel Inside. So. Do you uh, find yourself also working on those types of campaigns that are meant to drive more demand? Yes, that's why I said at the beginning, I'll divide it to the three big pillars, but there are many other orbiting those. Yeah, (laughs) Absolutely. So we work very, very closely with marketing. We have in our marketing, you have the big activations that we do throughout the year that may link to the big events, to the Mother's Day, to the Super Bowl, to the Cinco de Mayo, but... We have also the always-on content where we start, when we try to stay agile and re- leave enough buffer to really attend to things that are relevant to what we call the street, right? So for us, the single operation units, three, four, five units are 
are the streets. Um, often they also either will buy through a club cash and carry or a restaurant depot type of an outlet, maybe not only through uh, a broader line, uh, but also they, um, you know, would look for any insights and any information because they're lacking the resources themselves, right? The big, the bigger the entity is, the more internal resources they may have on marketing, on trends. The smaller guys really lean on us suppliers to help them be on top of things and understand how they can implement trends. So with the always on content, with our IG lives, we're trying to engage with as many because we don't have that big of sales force as maybe other entities. So we need to really be creative in the way we're engaging with those smaller entities and meeting their needs or trying to find an answer to their needs uh, via other, other means. Needless to say that we're very lucky that as Unilever, the mothership, we also have a lot of the brands that are corresponding on the retail end. And so a lot of the awareness of the brands, the Hellman's, the Noor, you know, can come also from people just knowing those brands from yeah. their households. So it saves, unlike Intel, I may not need to tell a longer story because they may know the quality of the brands from their private life. But we need to reiterate of what our products can do for them in their mm -hmm. in their professional lives. And that we do through the always on content and the marketing uh, materials we put out there. And that content targets more um, the people in the actual food service industry, not consumers. So it's Correct. more, it's not about pushing um, Hellman's, it's about uh, educating the your actual food service partners about um, these are the trends that you should know about and here are the products that you can capture these trends with. And that's first is those are the trends you may want to know about. Here are a few ideas of how you can bring them to life just as an inspiration. And here are the products that we have that can help you get there. Sometimes mm -hmm. we do things that have no relations to products because it's our, yeah. you know, the, the added value of working with us is also to get those insights. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it may not be necessarily ending, oh, and by the way, by helmets. I want people to also know that Unilever Food Solution has cutting edge culinary team and a lot of resources where when you become our customers, you're also privy to all those add-ons that, you know, you pay premium price, not only because we have really premium and good quality products, but also because we can give you other support that, you know, at the end of the day will save you money, right? Because, yeah. uh, you know, if we give some marketing money or if we give some materials, it doesn't have to be a lot, but a little goes a long way, certainly for the smaller operators that for them every day is a survival game. Which I think is, um, is a lesson for all like sales and marketing, regardless of, um, of the vertical or regardless of the industry, right? Create value for the people that, uh, that you want to sell to establish yourself as the person that trusts and kind of like selflessly gives them everything they need to be successful. And then when they do need to make a purchase, you're the first one that they think about. Um, so you talked a little bit about your team of um, of chefs that are kind of distributed across the country. Um, so I have two two questions about that. First, uh, do do you have anything to do with the retail side of things, or are you exclusively focused on on food service? Let's let's start there. Mm -hmm. So I'm exclusively uh, working on the on the food service. In my previous role, I did do the retail end. So. Uh, you know, some lingering connections there just because it was my previous role. However, we have some overlaps. So we, for our uh, Caldo di Pollo, which is uh, a powdered, one of our best selling, it's really big with the Hispanic population. It's a great flavorful product. 
um, that we have the same formulation for both retail and food service. And so if something changes, if an ingredient needs to change or any formulation changes, we will work closely with retail uh, because any changes they would make immediately implicate us. And on the other way, if we need to make any changes on a helmet or something that has, shares the same formulation and the same product, we will need to work hand in hand uh, with retail. We, we are still, you know, two siblings to the same parents. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, wherever it makes sense to overlap and join forces, it also, a lot of the trends, so historically trends came from restaurants. Chefs dictated trends and that cascaded into the end consumer at home. What, ha- what is happening in the past, I would say probably better part of the decade, is that there is much uh, more back and forth between who is leading the trends. Uh, if, if, you know, I recall 20 years ago, no chef, you know, would have bent backwards to accommodate a diner, right, that has whatever allergies or is a vegetarian. You know, often you would have, well, you can have the side dishes or I can give you a salad. But today you have chefs that will go out of the way to create dishes, if not on their menu, then specific to a table if they have any specific limitations. Because we are in an era where the end diner has a lot of power on what is being served. And based on their demand, the gluten-free, the dairy-free or any allergen-free or uh, plant-forward is uh, uh, a derivative of the consumer of the diner uh, uh, ask. And so you see that the influence is coming from both ends, the ability to share those insights and kind of have a bird's eye view of like, okay, this trend is coming from the food service down, but look is what, what is coming, what demand is coming from consumer gives us a nice uh, uh, leeway to be uh, ahead of the game. So I wouldn't say it's two totally separate entities. Um, they're different by nature because mm-hmm. we have slightly different uh, portfolio of products and we as a food service uh, arm are much more uh, sales driven or field driven mm-hmm. rather than marketing. Uh, uh, I mean, at the end, we're all finance driven, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> in retail, in retail, it's much more marketing driven. They bring the insight in food service. Yeah. We bring the insight from the field and then we work together. Yeah, definitely. So I do want to talk about like the the product side of things and, you know, product innovation and, and all of that. But uh, before then, um, so you talked a little bit about uh, your your team of chefs. So um, how does that team look like? How does that team built out? And are these uh, more business people or salespeople or more chefs or are do all of them have to be both? They are 100 percent first and foremost chefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I recruit, I need people that can do two things. They can check their ego at the door mm-hmm. uh, because this is not about your food or your perception of food or your menu. Uh, it's about the customer. Uh, so they need to check their ego at the door. And the other is knowing how to sell, you know, and uh, this is not an easy uh, combination. It's not like every no. second person or every chef has those skills. It's just like... Uh, you know, always, I always give the analogy that we can be experts in a topic that doesn't mean that we can teach it, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact yeah. that you know something good. doesn't mean you're also a good teacher. So, you know, the fact that you are a chef doesn't mean you're a good salesperson uh, by default. I, I would say that being passionate about food really helps us being very authentic, talking about food and, and about dishes. But you need to believe in our products. I don't want chefs that will... In, if they were to open a restaurant, and that's always something that is very important for me when I recruit, if you were to open a restaurant, will you use my products? If the answer is, well, you know, and then I don't know if you can sell it. 
you know, it's uh, I want somebody who says, yes, absolutely. I can see why using a chicken stock will save me time, money, uh, uh, and will be more efficient. Good. Then you can go and sell it because you believe in it. Um, so they're 100% chefs, but they're working very closely with sales. There is a very, very tight line uh, between what we do and what sales do. We don't talk numbers. We don't talk prices. Uh, we don't talk uh, marketing dollars. You know, we just talk food and what products can do at somebody's menu, how they can use it to their best, helping with food costs, helping with LTOs. And when it comes to the actual sales numbers, we can be present. Uh, but this is where the conversation changes hands uh, mm-hmm. to the sales uh, to the salespeople. Uh, my chefs are located in key culinary areas throughout the United States. So historically, the chef's team was all seated at headquarters. And about four years ago, when we have moved the business from uh, uh, Lyle, uh, Illinois, to New Jersey, to our headquarters in New Jersey, we said, well, it, that doesn't make sense. You know, A, it doesn't make sense that I need to fly chefs all over the country to meet customers, but it also doesn't make sense that we don't have boots on the ground understanding the uh, uh, micro trends in different regions that are booming culinary. And so we have shifted the model and hired chefs to sit in what we call uh, uh, culinary hotspots. So it's Miami, but covering all of Florida, a little bit of Georgia and Atlanta, but it's mainly south of Florida, Texas, the Chicago area, the tri-state area, and South California. Uh, you know, where we see a lot of condensation of, uh, chains and, and, uh, smaller SIOs. And this is how we work. So, you know, we know that a New England clam chowder is great for the Northeast. But if I'll take a New England clam chowder to, uh, Texas, I'll be left at, you know, who eats soup when it's 120 degrees, yeah. uh, to begin with. And why would I eat a New England clam chowder when I can have tortilla soup? Um, (laughs) So we need to know how to put our products at the relevant uh, top dishes for that region. Yeah, we we recently, uh, on on one of the webinars that we did, we wanted to ask like a fun question. Uh, So Miriam, who heads up our uh, content and and research, uh, she looked up um, which city, which major city in the U.S. uh, offers... Uh, has a, a larger percentage of restaurants that offer bagels. So where is like the bagel capital of, of the U.S., in, in other words? Uh, and of course, everybody said New York, but it was actually Philadelphia. Um, mm. So that was... Uh, just say Montreal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe if uh, we would have expanded it a little bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I think that your point about um, understanding microtrends and like local trends, really, and, uh, and just it's, it, it all comes down to knowing the people that you're trying to sell to, or maybe in your case, it's knowing the people that you're trying to sell to are trying to sell to, like really understanding... Uh, it- it has to be a combination because you need to understand the pinpoint of the customers mm-hmm. and you need to understand the demand of that specific region. California is totally different than the Midwest, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, so when Asahi bowls started to pick up or Hawaiian influence, it came from the West Coast. You have to address it first there. If it trickles then to the remaining of the nation, then it's yeah. great. And I already have the knowledge uh, and the expertise, but I want to meet the trend where it first happens. So a lot of uh, a lot of what like you personally talk about um, are 
of course, a lot of it has very specifically to do with foods, but, but also a lot of it has to do with business uh, in much the same way. You know, I come from uh, before I worked for TasteWise, I worked in cybersecurity, which is infinitely less interesting. A story that I tell very often is that um, on my first week at TasteWise about seven months ago, I was talking to a customer and we were having this very serious, very intense conversation about um, the development of alcoholic ice cream flavors. And <laughs> right after that call, um, I went to my CEO and I was like, I'm never going back to cybersecurity. Like this is, this is my life now. Um, but a lot of what you talk about is, um, is very business driven. So I guess my question uh, would be, uh, in order to be a successful executive chef, what do you, I, you already answered it sort of, but what do you have to be first? A business person? Um, or, or like a culinary leader, a chef, um, or do you feel that someone who hasn't professionally been actually a chef? Because I know that that you've trained chefs, uh, trained chefs in the past, and you and you've actually done the work uh, for a lot of your career. Uh, do you think that someone can uh, get to a position similar to the one that you're in right now at uh, at a large company, um, leaning more on the business side of things? Wow, I'll take a little detour in the answer here. First, again, you know, to be a chef, you need to be a chef. Uh, yep. and, and you need to know your culinary stuff. But just like, uh, you know, to be a business owner, doesn't matter if it's a restaurant or, you know, be in a corporate world, you need to have a business, some, some business skills. Um, you know, this, it goes, it goes very much in the same way. And, and it's interesting because I have launched uh, a social mission. Uh, for, called Fur Kitchens, uh, close to three years ago to better the culture in kitchens in order to keep and attract talent as we are bleeding talent in the industry. And COVID really, really exposed how sustainable and undesirable this industry uh, became to be. And if the culture would not change and if the way we run the industry will not change, we will have really, really tough times because labor is in a bigger crisis than what it was before COVID, you know, because yep. people just don't want to go back to this industry. So, and they don't want to get back because nobody wants to work 15 hours and nobody wants to get yelled at and nobody wants not to get benefit. And not necessarily all has to be that way. But when we launched the mission and now we're building a training of how to be a fair kitchen leader uh, with the Culinary Institute of America, we have realized that when you are promoted in the kitchen, you're promoted based on your cooking skill. You're really good at that station. You move to that station. You're really good at this. You'll become a sous chef. You're really good at that for a few years. You may become a chef and then you may open your own place and build on your cooking skills and maybe later on on your ability to run a kitchen. But nowhere through that process are you being trained on being a leader. Mm -hmm. And at the end, you are a business person and you are a leader. So I think you know, to do what I need to do, first of all, you have to have the inherent ability to be a leader because I'm not only a business person. I'm, I'm a business leader uh, and I'm a people leader. I have a team that I need to manage and, you know, it's their careers and aspirations. And it's a business that needs to meet quarterly uh, KPIs that we need to manage and need to be thinking of what we're doing. Uh, and I learned I did not come into Unilever with any zero business uh, uh, experience. I came from the restaurant teaching world into one of the biggest corporate. And I think, I, I don't know if I had it or I developed it. So it's hard yeah. for me to answer what you need to have. But the, for me, the key is to have the ability to zoom in, zoom out mm -hmm. uh, and to see the trees and to see the forest. Uh, you need to be able to zoom in 
and understand the minutia and what are the drivers and to zoom out and see the strategy. Uh, you know, because when it comes to business and to the executive component of the business, it's to be able to think strategically, uh, uh, forward thinking. And, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody is able to do that, but to do my position, you definitely have to have the knowledge of food and the yeah. knowledge of the industry and stay very, very close, uh, because it's very easy to get sucked into the business end and be washed away and removed from the field. You know, I make it a point when I can travel, not, you know, during crazy pandemics, mm-hmm. to be with my team, to be with customers as much as I can. To be out there, yeah. I travel a lot um, because hearing it from the horse's mouth is priceless. Um, that's very important. But I also need to translate what I hear into insights and then through strategic thinking, uh, bring it forward to the leadership team locally or globally. Because at the mm-hmm. end of the day, it's managing stakeholders and managing stakeholders take <laughs> a totally different uh, skill and a different patience that I had to uh, uh, form, you know, and yeah. mature and grow into. So it's it's an interesting back and forth. And there are days when I'm like, why, why didn't I take the blue pill? You know, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But then I wake up the following day and it's all okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, there are, I have a, a million more things I, I want to talk about, but uh, to kind of uh, picking out some of the, so specifically you talked a little bit about your initiative in, uh, in uh, Fair Kitchen. Um, so can, can you tell me a little bit about on uh, how that came to be and how much of your, um, like how much of your, your day-to-day uh, that kind of now takes up? Uh, yeah. It takes a lot of my day now, but it's mm-hmm. cherries on top of my work. So yeah. it takes part of my other part of the day, <laughs> Yeah, which means that the kids don't eat. But uh, basically. <laughs> well, they uh, have a chef. They have a chef at home. They have a chef. Yeah. That's my daughter yeah. said yesterday. I'm going to stay home as long as I can to enjoy my chef mom <laughs> as many years as I can. <laughs> so, you know, talk to me in about a decade when, uh, you know, she's probably still at home. Um, but. It's, you know, Fur Kitchens came, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a child of passion. Uh, and it really came because as a supplier to the market, our global team, our global marketing team actually said, you know, we need to understand the drivers or the reasons of why we're losing talent. Uh, and they have issued uh, a big research with 430 chefs across the globe that w- was both a uh, qualified component and quantifying component. Uh, so there were surveys on one end, and, but also we had psychologists and people that shadow chefs uh, in four different uh, countries. U.S. was one of them. And we have managed to quantify uh, some staggering numbers. And it may not be staggering to people that work in a kitchen in that sense because you live it and breathe it. So it's kind of like, yeah, duh. Uh, but when you see it black and white as numbers, it's, it can be a jaw drop shocker. Uh, in that sense, that 80% of people in the industry don't want to stay in the industry after two years, that uh, 69% suffer from some sort of an anxiety or depression. There is malnourishment, funny enough, in our industry, lack of sleep, uh, sense of lack of fulfillment because you work all those hours and you never know if you're going to end up opening your own place or become a chef. Um, And, you know, slowly but surely with the freezing days of uh, the Food Network and the celebrity chef, people are like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> it's that uh, glitzy uh, anymore. And so uh, this is how we started. And we said, wow, those are amazing. Those numbers are staggering. What can we do? Um, 
So we sat in a room uh, with external chefs and an agency uh, in our headquarters here in New Jersey for two days. The first day was, I call it a whining day. We put up everything that is wrong with our industry, everything from, you know, low pay uh, to working shoes, to lack of daylight, to hard floors, any, anywhere up to um, substance abuse and suicide rates. And the following day, once we, once we looked at all those post-its on the wall, we said, okay, now what? If we were to do something for it, what would it be? And this is how Fair Kitchens uh, came to be. I always have to apologize and say, look at it as a non-for-profit that Unilever Food Solutions is sponsoring. You know, this is uh, not a campaign to sell more anything. The, this is really a social mission, a movement to drive cultural change in the industry. And it takes a village. We're not aiming to do it on our own. We have partners that are helping us and big entities that uh, uh, take part of that. And we sponsor and pay for a lot of resources. We want it to be a solution-based platform. There are many outlets there that can identify the problems, uh, but there are not many outlets or many uh, places where they also give solutions. And not everything is easy. You know, we cut a lot of headwinds saying, well, I cannot pay more and I cannot give benefits. I'm a small one, two, three, four units. I can't, I'm, I'm struggling with food cost yeah. tightrope every day. I, you mm -hmm. know, I, I can't offer those things, but not everything is monetary. You know, there are cultural things that are more around recognition that are around environment in the kitchen where somebody can come and say, I'm not, I'm not good today, chef. I'm, I'm, I've had a tough night. I fought with my spouse. My kid is not feeling well. I'm not, I'm just not in my best. So, when you, you, you know, you are expected to come into a kitchen and show up every yeah. day. I, we always say it's like a American football, uh, mm -hmm. right? Or any professional sports where you're, you know, competing, you need to be your best. And every service is competition. How do yeah. you show up your best? Sometimes mm -hmm. we're not. So you need to create an environment that allows you not to be your best uh, mm -hmm. and other people can step in for you. How do you create that culture and then people stay with you? So this is... Fair Kitchen, it takes a lot of my time. We have just signed a contract with Talkspace uh, to sponsor uh, mental health uh, for a year, 4,000 chefs. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're working on a training program with the Culinary Institute of America. We're working on diversity of bringing more females and females of color to the industry. So, uh, you know, this is all cherries on top for me, though, on that. Because yeah. uh, we're still a for-profit business and uh, <laughs> opportunity yeah. leads and wins need to come in. No, but I think it's amazing that uh, that you're able to um, to launch something like this, and it's, uh, it's an amazing initiative. I wonder, um, and maybe I'm, I'm like completely off, but I wonder um, how the kind of glorification of uh, celebrity chefs um, like being mean to people in the kitchen, because it's almost like a meme that you see in uh, in cooking shows. Right, like the big bad chef who's like a visionary genius, being very mean to the the people who are doing the service and uh, the people who are working, and um, it and it almost becomes like the drama in the show that uh, that you're waiting for, um, and maybe that normalizes that kind of behavior. It's like that's how they do it on TV. This is the this is life. This is how it works. And like, yeah, uh, when of course consistently and scientifically and in any conceivable way the best way to motivate people is to be kind uh, to them and to create a an actual be environment that, you yeah, know and to create just be respectful be, yeah when they can be themselves yes. and be successful as themselves crazy um so uh 
I think that that can kind of lead us into talking a little bit about uh, post COVID or maybe not post during um, and maybe a little bit about how uh, how you feel your own role has changed over the past year, um, if at all, um, and uh, and primarily your relationship with uh, with the food service market. Um, if you had to point out like a few of the the major impacts or or things that uh, that we now have to take special care for then what would those be unfortunately too many uh, mm -hmm. I think you know we we have been probably the most hit industry uh, because of covid uh, and it really as I said before kind of unveiled I think how unsustainable uh, the business model is because on, on any good day, you need 80% capacity uh, to make some profit or break even, you know, forget yeah. 25, 30, maybe even 50, you know. Uh, so the industry is facing, I think we're still in the midst of like understanding. Up till now, it was survival mode. You know, I think up till now, uh, going back to asking how my role changed, up till now, it wasn't forcing. Uh, my role up till now was to support my customers stay afloat in any way I can, either by streamlining information to them, trying to organize some of the, you know, what is the PPP? How do I apply? Is it good? Is it not good? What do I do with delivery? Do I uh, make separate menu? You know, just like being reactive to stay mm -hmm. afloat. And this is how my job changed. We, you know, we are, we're a big company. And so we are very well planned in advance on what activations we have, and the KPIs we have. In that sense, my role changed dramatically. All KPIs got wiped out. It wasn't about profit. We knew we're not going to make money uh, in, in 2020 and, and probably not in 2021, or, you know, TBD. But, you know, Unilever said, okay, this is now about uniting for the better good of the industry. And to do that, you know, we had to shift our mindset from being very well planned and taking our time and to really every day we had meetings every week, every week of where are we, what content to produce. And by the end of that week to produce that, that content, that never happened. You know, this is yeah. more of a startup way of thinking, not a big corporate way of thinking. And also switch all my team to virtual connect. You know, the, the food service industry is very conservative when it comes to digitization and adaptation yeah. of of new behavior and any chef can live on Amazon Prime, but when it comes to their operation, they want to talk face to face to a salesperson. They want to talk to their distributor. Yeah. They want to see somebody. They don't want to order online. It wasn't there yet. It made the leap, you know, tenfolds. All of a sudden you had no choice. Nobody could come and see you. You had to prioritize and start doing things digitally. We had to connect with operators, you know, uh, via Zoom or via Teams, do virtual cuttings be creative in how we engage with them, send them products, send them uh, meal kits, cook along. We called it uh, 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 a taste along or teletasting, uh, right? With And do all kinds of things where we can bring our products from our home kitchens into their yeah. kitchens while trying to experience the sensorial of eating and smelling at the same time, you know? Mm -hmm. So... It's not, it's, well, it's, it wasn't, it, we didn't have time to think about how it's the best way to do it. You, we had to like learn on the job, right? Run with yeah. it, see what works, what doesn't work. So in that, and in that sense, my job changed really, really quickly. Also, it became more predominant for me to bring those insights in for my chefs that are out in the region, say, hey, 
this region opens, this is closing, this is under, this is only uh, uh, outdoor dining, this is only delivery, you know, because, you know, we, we were yeah. essentially almost like different states uh, mm-hmm. operating on, under different uh, restrictions. Uh, with the industry, now we're shifting into ramping up, right? So uh, now that we, I think, whoever survived, survived, uh, and now they need to make up for a year of losses. And now you have to see how you do it. It's, I, you know, I, I was on a, on a different podcast and I said, when you have to stop and think about the situation, yes, of course, it's not a great one. And it brought a lot of casualties business-wise. I was just in New York City the other day and seeing how many places are for lease, for rent, closed, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, but it also gave you the pause to think for many operations what they want to be, how they can do things better. Uh, and my analogy here is when you run a marathon, we're in you in the midst of running a marathon. You're not going to stop and buy new shoes, better shoes, you know, uh, you know, to, to equip yourself better. You're going to stick to whatever you have and you're going to make it. You're going to run as long as you need to until you make it to the end. We were forced to stop the marathon. So it gives you an opportunity to see, you know, what shoes you need to get in better shape so you can hit the ground running and do it yeah. better when things are coming back to whatever normal will be. So I think that the places, the operators, the chefs that stayed in business and opened uh, a takeaway or a, a delivery uh, entity, I'm not going to close it now that they're starting to open up. Now they will need to figure yeah. out how you manage the business with another uh, revenue stream. So how do you now manage patio dining with indoor dining that is growing capacity and keeping the takeout and the delivery with less labor? Um, you know, what now, you know, how do you still maintain a safe environment that is sanitized and what are the protocols if somebody is sick or, you know, you, there is a lot to figure out. There is a, a big rebel to pick through and rebuild. And this is what, you know, my job is now. My job is now to help guide my customers and the industry in what can be uh, great ways for them to rebuild, to, to have their menu more efficient, to do more with less with fair kitchens to be more, to be more attractive to labor, uh, yeah. and try to, uh, get ready for, uh, cause I think there will be like the tsunami, the floodgates will open, you know, yeah. once some, once we get to some percentage of, of, uh, vaccination, like it is in Israel and people just want to be out, you can, yeah. you can sense the itchiness, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's getting ready for those good times in, uh, in the best way possible. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's incredible. And I think, um, like especially the little guys of uh, of the food service industry need uh, that kind of support, right? By like firm initiatives like uh, like Fair Kitchens, um, we're uh, trying to do our part uh, with uh, an initiative that uh, we'll be launching soon to uh, provide restaurant owners with uh, free access um, to information to data, uh, both uh, locally about uh, their. Uh, competitive area and both uh, some uh, insights about um, uh, things that they could be adding to their menu and making that available for them for absolutely free um, because this is the industry that we chose to to join right and and we have to we have to be there for it um, no I think um, I think it's amazing how you talk about both the the unbelievable impact that this um, industry has taken the unbelievable unbelievable hit um, but also the almost like silver lining of, okay, maybe we can do things differently. Do you feel that a lot of the processes and things that have changed in the corporate culture at uh, your company 
are here to stay now? Like, for example, the faster pace of moving, do you feel like that is here to stay or do you feel that will kind of settle back into the way it was before? I hope not. I hope yeah. not. I think just like as, as we needed that shakeup to be able to snatch out of uh, our mundane ways of doing things, you know, because when you do things and they work, you won't change it. But, yeah. you know, when your cage has been rattled, and, you know, you've been given the opportunity to do things differently that you always aspire to, but you never really made the yeah. effort or, you know, managed to. Um, I hope that we can give, because it was, I feel more energetic, uh, mm -hmm. A, uh, to, to do that. But also the world, you got to shift with the world. You know, you can't yeah. stay stuck in your ways when the world is changing. And if the world is moving at a faster pace, we need to move at a faster pace. And uh, and I think that will allow us, that allows us to see what procedures are a must, what are procedures are nice to have, and where can we really be more agile uh, and meet our customers where, when and where they need us to be. The last thing that I want to talk about, kind of like bringing us back to, to what we talked about in the beginning of this conversation, I want to be uh, mindful of, uh, of your time, um, is the product side of things. Um, so we talked a lot about um, your relationship with the food service industry and your relationship with other entities like distributors or even your uh, internal stakeholders. Um, and very, uh, very early in the conversation, we talked a little bit about the innovation pipeline uh, and how you take new products to market and how that might be different from uh, the retail side of the business. Uh, even though I'm sure some of the products are uh, the same products or different versions or variations of, uh, of the same products. So, what at a high level typically is the is the process that you see for identifying a need um, for either that you can fill with an existing product or or an innovation on top of that product, um, all the way to actually having that product ready to sell to uh, to to the industry. Unfortunately, it's too long of a process for us, but uh, uh, it, it starts with a need, and the need can come from the field. Uh, we have uh, cross-functional groups that work as kind of like the liaise between the field and the mothership, right? So yeah. we count on them and my team to bring insights. And, you know, we know, for example, right now, the big ask is ready-to-use sauces, right? So mm -hmm. the, we hear it across the segment, you know, across all segments, ready-to-use good quality sauces because... You can start making things from scratch, right? This is something that can fit us really well. We have the capability. We have a few of those already, um, you know, but now you need to start identifying it's a big statement. What is it? Is it barbecue sauce? Is it uh, a cuisine ethnic sauces? Is it uh, in a concentrated format? Is it in a just drop? You know, do you want to have some customization? Do you not? This is where the sorting out of, the, of an ask or a need like that will start with our marketing and our consumer uh, customer uh, uh, insight um, uh, team, and mm -hmm. once we we will we and we count on companies like TasteWise and other data company to help us, you know, get some data of like you know what is what what does this need mean? How will it look like on a menu to help guide me? If I know it's going to sit under NOR, I, I I need to know what it looks like. Um, yeah. Once we manage to. Uh, firm the idea, we will test the idea uh, with people and say, okay, does that resonate with you? So we, the, the beauty of COVID 
is that we have a lot of chefs that are willing and able to help us. You know, before when it was busy, I could hardly get chefs to sit with me in a room for an hour. Now, virtually, I can have great focus groups with amazing people that are willing to share their insights. We'll check those concepts with them, what takes, what doesn't take, take that. And with that, I will will go in the kitchen, either myself or uh, one of my chefs, and we'll bring this idea to life uh, Mm -hmm. in that sense or iteration of that, what this idea can look like. And as a core team, we will taste, we will see, we will talk about functionality. And once we decide this is it, we will create uh, some sort of a prototype. We will do small upscale of that prototype. We will do a big upscale of the prototype, see that we don't have any hiccups on the way. Of course, there is supply chain and procurement that are coming in uh, as components of this as well. Uh, And while that is being done, uh, we will work, my team uh, will work very closely with our marketing to write what we call all the selling materials, the sales stories, work on the training, how to train our team on selling that in, what are the key points that we're, that we need to highlight, how we differentiate potentially from competition uh, with that specific product to really uh, equip our sales team with all they need to go out there um, and, and sell the product. It all sounds great, but it also takes 14 to 18 months if everything goes well. So (laughs) a little, a little too long of a process for a market that moves fast. But I think people don't understand how much goes into that. This is not like enough picking up the phone and calling R&D and marketing. So I have a great idea and they're going to call the plant and, you know, next week we'll have something. We have to source. The amounts that we have to source are huge. We are very sustainably. Uh, forward-thinking type of a company. So everything we source has to meet specific guidelines that it's being sourced right. For everything that we source, we have to have a plan B. What if somebody's running out of stock for what, whatever reason? Ice storm in Texas, hurricane somewhere, yeah. you know? You have to have a plan B. You have to get ready for that. It's, it takes time. Those are not things that are happening within over an hour of a virtual yeah. meeting. So, uh, and you I have multiple, <laughs> multiple of these like tracks active at multiple tracks. Time. And yeah. in the food service, it's even harder because you have to work with distributors. Uh, there is few more layers of complexity. You have to sell it into the distributors, as I said earlier, because if it's not stock, then I can sell till I'm blue, you know, in, in the face and it wouldn't help me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how, how often do you get to actually step in the kitchen and, and kind of do it yourself? Like you said, come make the ideas come to life. As often as I can and not often enough. <laughs> it's the part I love the most. I love innovation the most. Uh, it, it just opens my, you know, it oils my wheels and it makes me, you know, uh, very, very happy. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I'm pulled into other directions and uh, I have a great team that I lean on and we divide and conquer. But I really try to be in the kitchen as often as I can because to me, that's why I'm here to begin with. So I can't forget that. Yeah. When I uh, was uh, in uh, New York City, I think about um, a year ago, a couple of years ago, my uh, brother-in-law... BC, 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 two years BC. Two years BC. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so it was uh, one year BC. Um, and uh, we were staying with my brother-in-law, who was um, a chef for many years, and then also kind of transitioned more into the business side. Um, and uh, we couldn't get a reservation at a restaurant. Uh, and I was like, oh, no, I guess we'll just have this professional chef cook for us. And he was saying, this is the only time I actually get to cook. You know, it's uh, like, I never get to step into the kitchen anymore. So the conclusion is that you have to come more often. uh, So you can cook more. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's a, 
it's not always easy. You know, sometimes I have to force it or I have to carve specific time, but I have to, I need it for myself, for my soul. Mm. Uh, you know, because that's my, uh, that's, that's the, the energy source for everything else. Yeah. And also that's what your, your customers at the end of the day are spending a lot of their time doing. So, right. um, is there anything that, uh, that you want to use our, uh, last couple of minutes, uh, the people listening to this, um, are going to be people in our industry, uh, working as uh, brand managers, executive chefs, um, culinary innovation, and, uh, really, uh, really anyone in, uh, in this industry. Uh, and I think that you're working on a lot of really incredible initiatives that are important to the industry as a whole, not just the company that, uh, that you work for Unilever. Um, so is there anything that, uh, that you'd like to use our last couple of minutes for to let them know? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot that is going on, right? But I mm -hmm. think for the innovators, the, for the innovator listeners, uh, you know, my advice is to be humble. Uh, there are two types of innovations, right? There is an, a great innovation that you invent and then you find the need. And then there is an innovation that is finding the need and then finding the solution. So I think for all the innovators is trying to understand what type of innovators they are. Uh, and due diligence to either creating the need or finding the need. Uh, and I think for all the chef listeners, I, especially from where I come from now, is not to poo-poo, uh, you know, mass-produced products like what we have. They're not necessarily making you less of a chef. Uh, I don't think they take away from the creativity in the kitchen. They're there to make life easier and enable you know, chefs to really concentrate on the creative component and building a menu rather than putting a chicken stock up and, 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 and do that. Um, and, and I had to go through that process because I come from fine uh, dining uh, in my cooking career. And I was the one who was like, you know, snobbing uh, uh, products as such. And, you know, I, I came to realize that, you know, there is no right or wrong and it's not good or bad. There is what is right for you. Uh, you know, so I think it's uh, taking a pause and thinking, about your operation, about what is right for you, what is, as a chef, with 24 hours a day and you need to sleep, you know, a few hours and maybe you want to see your family also, uh, you need to do where you feel you make the most out of your day. So, you know, it's uh, just be open-minded, I guess. That's uh, that's my ask. Yeah, it's amazing. So really the, the only thing that, uh, that I wanted to talk about that we uh, didn't have enough time to get to was more kind of about you personally and your journey through the different uh, areas of the industry. But I guess we'll have to, to do that next time. It's going to be the cliffhanger one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, enough. thank you so much. This has been fascinating to me and I'm sure this is going to be incredibly helpful for anyone listening. Um, and we're very, very lucky to, to call you a friend. Um, so thank you. It goes so both much. ways. It goes both ways. I love taste wise. So yes, thank you. And you know, we can do a sequel sometime down the road. <laughs> <laughs>